Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. The question is, true believers, can you keep a secret? That's the question of the day, and that's what we'll be asking you as we dive into today's topic, Marvel's Secret War by Brian Michael Bendis and Gabrielle Delato. As always, I'm Remster W. Martinez. I'm here with the fantastic Mr. Mark Clare. As always, I am also always fantastic and always Mark Clare. Usually, always Mark Claire. Usually always Mark Claire. Who knows? Usually Mark Claire. And you are listening to the Second Print Comics podcast. It's another episode diving into one of the comics that really not only brought me in as a deep and committed Marvel reader before I began to have some issues with the current publisher, but we will talk about that another day probably. Probably um, many other days. I will I rant about it. And rants about it until the day I die. And you know one place they can get some bonus rants from you and they can hear them where, before where, anywhere else? Well, where is this magic place? This was a secret, but I don't want to keep secrets. I don't want to be like Nick Fury. I want to let you know that you can head over to patreon.com slash secondprintpodcast and you can, hear, you can hear what you're hearing right now before anybody else. You could have in the past. Or you might be hearing it right now if you're on Patreon because we actually did something unique. We launched this show early to our patrons, to our early patrons, to the people supporting the show from the beginning. But in addition to early release episodes you're also going to get bonus content bonus live streams bonus rants anything extra we do our patreon is going to get it first and you can check out all the tiers i'm not going to go through them all because we did an entire video breaking that down which you can find over on the patreon page so i just encourage you to check out patreon.com slash second print pod and uh while i'm plugging our regular website which is very very bare but we'll build up but it will host also host any uh comic book reviews we do and all our podcasts you can find all of that over at secondprintcomics.com that's it. And that is all you need to go ahead and journey into mystery, folks. So anyway, um, Mark, I wanted to go ahead and cover Secret War because this is really one of the most important moments for me as a reader. Um, growing up, I had always been a casual reader. I'd collect comics as I went, but I never really understood much of how this connected universe within Marvel and DC worked. So by the time I picked up Secret War in around 2004, 2005, this really kind of took me from being a casual reader to being definitely a more committed person. And I, I really think that with the decades worth of retcons and reboots and changing continuity, uh, this story has been pushed kind of wayside. But when you look at the history of Marvel as a publisher, this is really what I will call the end of the age of innocence for our heroes and characters. This is really when 
once once the story came out, Marvel changed drastically for the better, and some people would say the worse, but this is where it ends. One, because it takes our heroes and puts them really in the world outside our window, so to speak. And secondly, this marks the end of the era of what I call the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury, the, the <laughs> classic uh, Nick Fury that we had grown up with. This is really his last uh, Man, shebang. I will never be able to picture this Nick Fury not as David Hasselhoff now. It, it will it, it, you Please. will you, you will be at conventions and you will bring up David Hasselhoff Nick Fury and you'll get two types of people the people that are like oh my god am I know right and then you'll have the people that are like Nick Fury's not white <laughs> <laughs> I beg you I beg Marvel to do some kind of we know that Marvel is about to enter into the multiverse Please give us a multiverse Nick Fury played by David Hasselhoff. I will beg. Maybe we can start a hashtag campaign of some kind. I don't know. I want to see this. And now I can't get the visualization out of my head. I'm about to blow your mind. It's perfect. did, did Did you know that David Hasselhoff starred as Nick Fury in the TV movie Nick Fury? Stop it. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Stop it. It is the campiest shit you will ever watch. I am currently on Google. Continue to speak while I about uh, how am I? Am I a bad fan for not knowing about this or a good fan for not knowing about this? That's the question. This is this is like I call it the dark web of <laughs> fandom because you're going to oh find this. Oh, my God. Okay. You see him? I'm going describe to. Him. I'm going to. I, I haven't discussed this with you. Oh, describe him. My God. <laughs> It's fantastic, it's, isn't he it? He really just looks like an aged Knight Rider with an eye patch because he, he, he's wearing the leather jacket and he's, he's wearing all black. That's so good. Yeah, it's like they didn't even really make him Nick Fury. They just took Knight Rider, took Michael Knight, and gave him an eye patch and took away his took away Kit. I assume if Kit's in this movie, I'm going to lose my mind. He he's got other fun gadgets and cars, but it is um it, it's like Power Rangers with Knight Rider and it's just it's just so watching it in modern context is just so bad but I have watched it an unhealthy number of times I want to offer so something up right now and I haven't discussed this with you this is very on the fly but I think that for our patrons we should find this movie and either do a review or maybe even preferably because we that we could do this with zoom technology we could do a live watch of the movie with some of our uh, you know with our early patrons so more incentive that if you, if you want to join us for Nick Fury agent of shield starring David freaking Hasselhoff how did I not know this existed I'm so excited for this I'm going to watch it no matter what, but if we can do it for patrons, even better, right? Absolutely. And you see, folks, you just got You got to be here with us. You got to live in the moment with us. But um, this is really the end of that era. I can't After get over this, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't get over I'm just looking at pictures. You're going to be <laughs> thinking about this for weeks. I don't know if I – now I'm, I wish I had this visual before reading this comic because then I could just insert – I could have just inserted this image the whole, the whole time. This is unbelievable. But anyway. I, 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 love, I love Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury. He will always be my preferential Nick Fury. But when it comes to the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury, he will always hold a, a special place in my heart. I mean, I am holding back my trigger finger from pressing play on some of these clips that are online. <laughs> like, I'm so tempted, but I don't want to take us all the way out of the show. Maybe uh, maybe well, we'll insert, maybe we'll do some ed- an edit insert of a classic uh, Hasselhoff Fury line. Uh, does he have classic lines <laughs> in this movie? <laughs> there's not much you'll want to remember. I'll okay. put it that way. Right. Other than it existed, and we all forget it for good reasons. Okay. But it's there. And it's... David Hasselhoff doing his best. If, if doing this podcast bears no other fruits in my entire life, my, my, my newfound knowledge of this movie will be enough. I feel. <laughs> that is, that is sad, 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 but hopefully that's you'll my be bar more- folks. That's my bar. <laughs> <laughs> Please send money. No, I'm just kidding. 
Uh, this is this is what the world has come to. Anyway, um, Secret War was a five-issue limited series written by Brian Michael Bendis in uh, between 2004-2005. And this book, to kind of preface this before we actually do the, the issue breakdowns and uh, talk about it, um, this is the book that showed me that comic books can be something that really covers the more mature topics of our age. Uh, I'm not one of those people that's against comics talking culture talking politics i think comic books have always been a window to do that and whether you're left right middle whatever i think that this is a good medium to do it because ultimately it's not very inconsequential unless you do drastic drastic things but this is the place where i'd like to talk about it because it adds a flair when you add the superhero genre to it um right off the bat Secret War, it's not connected to the Secret Wars event that was done by uh, Jim Shooter. No. They had Secret Wars. And Do not Secret be fooled. This is a very different sort of Secret War. If you wanted to show this to your kids and they're like, why is everyone dying? This is this is not the one you want to show them off the bat, but this is a very different Secret War. I, I and, was shocked um, at how adult this whole thing was. I mean, someone who is to me this is not a product that i expected to see from marvel the, just the level of realism and violence in what, what a, in was your a mainstream initial reaction before we get started what was your initial reaction my initial reaction was how the fuck have i not read this story before <laughs> this this really flew under my radar because my comic my I, we discussed this a bit in our episode 0 so so tick back to that for my full story but you know i kind of faded down my comics reading towards the late 90s early 2000s my college era what have you um i, I the only really comic i stuck with was savage dragon my favorite comic of all time which we will get to actually next next episode uh but uh, what was the question I was answering? I just gave you an edit point. What, what, what was what was your what was your initial reaction? Because when you oh, look right, at yeah, this, yeah. first off, I mean the cover is the thing that lets people know. Okay, this is going to be kind of different because it's very surreal, very lifelike art in a gritty way that would basically kind of put some people off. And when you look at the Secret War lettering, it's black and white. It looks shady. So you know right off the bat you're going into something pretty serious. Yeah, as I was saying before, my mind wandered off completely. Um, this this kind of fell under my radar initially because my comics fandom, not my fandom, I've always been a fan, but you know how we all go through ebbs and flows of how much we're actually following certain product. I really, I say it dovetailed in the early 2000s to the point that I was hardly reading anything. I wasn't really reading any comics at all at that point uh, for a period of maybe like six or seven years and uh so i never this this book came out at a time when i was nothing was on my radar in terms of comic books and at least in terms of like marvel and dc mainstream comic book stuff uh whatsoever and when i came back into comic books like, like years later i went back and read like a lot of the stories that i'd heard about that were important to read you know i read civil war uh, i really enjoyed most of that it probably had like way too many spinoffs like every single marvel crossover ever uh i, I read a lot of the classic stories i read hickman's fantastic four hickman's entire Ad avengers run uh, and I, I enjoyed a lot of that stuff, but this this never even really came up on my radar as a must read. So that that's what surprised me so much about it when I first got into it. Because within the first couple pages, I'm just I, my mind's blown. I'm like, how am I seeing this from Marvel? A how how have I not heard that I must read this before? So I'm so glad yeah. you, you made this pick. Yeah, this is really a sleeper hit. This is something that did not really become more popular until a few years after it came out. And it really didn't uh, become something that a lot of people saw as essential reading material in terms of Marvel canon until 2010 when Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 came out. Now, for that game, it had 
Secret War and Civil War as uh, a continuing storyline, which it kind of does in the comics. I think the game actually did it more justice. But uh, without getting into it too much, I'm I'm reading from the first printed edition of the trade paperback. Um, some of you are going to see that I'm going to be showing another one in a couple weeks. I had to order the second printing because I've moved around so often. I bought this when I was like a kid. There's water damage in the back. So the actual <laughs> story itself is fine. But all the bonus material in the back, which what really I, I fell in love with, it's all ruined. So if I'm if you hear like sticky pages and stuff, it's it's kid <laughs> Remso's fault. If you but, hear oh, sticky pages, it's kid Remso's fault. That's the quote we're going to we're going to be isolating. That, that's the, for the cold future. opening <laughs> <laughs> of every episode. <laughs> yeah, but before we get started, this was printed in the first issue, actually. I, I got to say, I don't know of any comic storyline ever where they started with a written prologue. And this is actually a letter written to fans by a friend of Brian Michael Bendis. So this is, is not is in, this is actually not just for made for the trade that it, that was also in the initial uh, you know first uh, first issue. From what that I'm letter? told. Yeah. yeah. OK. And that's what made people realize, oh. This is this is not this is not gonna be a normal comic. Yeah, because I was struck by that letter before I even read a page of, of the book itself. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read the first paragraph and summarize the rest. Yeah. But uh, Anonymous is basically a former CIA field operations officer. And he basically starts off with, I can't tell you who I am. I can't tell you what I do for a living. All I can say is that I'm a high-ranking officer in the intelligence community of the United States government. And I've known Brian Michael Bendis since he was a toddler. Outside of his parents, very few people can appreciate how pure Brian's dreams and goals were to become a comic book writer and how amazing it is that all those dreams have come true. Little did I know my true life would become fodder for Brian's addition to the legends of Marvel Comics. And basically, um, he's known Brian Michael Bendis since he was a kid, and he, I guess, told him stories and told him insights as to how the real world of spycraft, war, and espionage actually work. So essentially what he's doing is he's planting the seeds for the story that we're reading now. And uh, basically, he's surprised with how Bendis was able to take the real world events that this man dealt with and how they dealt with them. And he was able to transfer it into the superhero genre, which is what we're reading. And, you know, one criticism people had was they feel that this series was kind of undermined because it didn't have spinoffs. It didn't have tie-ins. I think that's ultimately better because by keeping it in a condensed book, you're able to really capture a unique flavor. And that by Bendis really combining these real-world insights into a very self-contained story, which will still, you know, have shockwaves throughout Marvel comics for decades to come right there you know this is different mark what were your thoughts about this absolutely i, I was just so sucked in by the fact that this guy just said well basically this and everything you're going to read is true minus superheroes minus superpowers and that just really struck me i mean i i, I have my mind was kind of just spinning like how true is this you know how true is anonymous is anonymous a marketing tool was this just just put in there or is this a real and i really want to believe it's real i mean we have no evidence either way because it's just some guy named anonymous but I really want to picture Brian Michael 
Bendis picking these guys' brains for years and years and years and building these stories uh, in his mind and then actually fulfilling that dream of doing so. And I can't imagine being someone who is in this position. Like, let's say Anonymous is sort of Nick Fury and reading this book you know, years after doing perhaps doing something similar to what Nick Fury had did before, again, before I even read a page of the book, I'm already so in. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I thought it was just a great, a great addition to set this entire thing up. And it, it really sets the adult tone of this thing. I mean, you can tell before we've seen a panel, this is not your typical superhero book. This is something very different than you, especially very different than you typically get from Marvel of all places. Yeah, I mean, Marvel has, and I think it's kind of an I- incorrect image of being the more mature, more adult side of the comic book world compared to DC. DC has kind of like this super friends a stereotype that I don't think they've ever been able to escape. But I mean, you, you kinda, you're kind of confused off the bat because you look at the cover, and the cover for the, the first printing of the trade paperback is the cover of uh, the first issue of Secret War, and you're seeing characters that usually don't jive together pretty well. You're seeing... Spider-Man who's with Captain America and Black Widow and Wolverine and Daredevil. Now this is the era of Marvel Knights. This is when um, Wolverine, Black Widow and Daredevil are really in their kind of R-rated phase. So to see them kind of meshing with, you know, Spider-Man and Captain America, you know you're off into something different. And that's what is going to make this so interesting. So to kind of jump into book one, and folks, I'm you know Mark and I are going to give you summaries. Or we're going to be adding a lot of our own content. Really do pick up a copy of this book. I picked up a used, but it was like new copy of the second printing, which will be arriving by the time you're listening to this to replace my water-damaged version. <laughs> Super cheap. It's only five issues. I know a lot of the other graphic novels out there are usually in like the $15, $20 range, but you can find this cheaply online. But basically... Um, It starts off in today, and by today, it's basically 2004 America. And what we see is we see Luke Cage and his new wife, Jessica Jones. She's having a baby. She hasn't given birth yet, but they're walking home from Who is smoking, by the way? Jessica Jones has only gotten Both in this art and in the Netflix show, but uh, she's actually better looking here, I think. And she she's one of those incredibly underrated beauties of comic book lore. I will say that. But anyway, they're walking home to their apartment from Harlem and a bunch of kids are, um, you know, screaming, Luke Cage, hero for hire. And, you know, they're there. He's he's asking basically for, you know, dirt on a local drug dealer and he's intimidating the kids. And he's basically doing his whole I'm 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 protecting Harlem type of thing. Luke Cage is awesome. I mean, the kids, whether they like him or not, they respect him. And you see that. And to see it start off with Luke Cage, it also I mean, this book just just in the first couple pages, you're taken back. Luke Cage was not very popular at this point. He had a run with um, Heroes for Hire, with uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. But this is around the time where Bendis is going to make Luke Cage the character he is today. Someone so popular, they're going to get two seasons and a spinoff season on Netflix. And I'm hoping they they bring him back for future things. But basically, um, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage walk into their apartment and they see this random chick there. And she's standing by the windows and she's all shadowy. And they're like, um... It better work for them a little now so they have respects for their kids. And, you know, it's just a basic banter conversation about what they just experienced. Next thing you know, they turn around. They're like, ah, 
stupid. Don't even begin to describe what you just did, lady. Break it into my pad, and he's all <laughs> mad. And this is the one of the last people you ever want to make mad. She looks at him, and you just see this, like, glowing eye, and it's just, you know this is bad. And she says, I know where I am, Luke Cage. And with that classic line, before he knows, shit's about to go down, he says, Christmas. Sweet Christmas. 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 And it blows it. <laughs> the hell up. This is where things start getting real. You know, we only focus on Luke Cage in this uh, incident, you know, when we see him in the hospital later, but when they show the damage that exploded out of this building, there's no doubt other people had to have been killed in this, that's in a this full, incident. That's a full page spread. Yeah. And that, the kids are really the, amazing. The, yeah. The, the kids that he was talking to were looking up and they're like, shit, that thing probably did kill Luke Cage. Yeah. And, but, and whoever the hell else happens to live in those apartments around him, like, like <laughs> it blew out the whole like top of that building. It, it's going to cause some serious damage to the real estate market for Harlem apartments. But, <laughs> but anyway, it might be a good time to buy. <laughs> might be a good time to buy. So keep I don't an eye know out. if I'd want to move somewhere where a supervillain just blew up the home of one of the strongest men in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, but anyway, um, the next page opens with a giant look at the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier. And I got to say r- right off the bat, the stuff that um, – and I'm, I'm probably screwing up his name. G- Gabriel Delato does. It's very close to like Mark Silvestri. Almost Alex Ross reminiscent in a way. It's a lot sleeker, a lot shinier. This is a beautiful full page spread. So anyway, yeah, we've got this beautiful spread, and I mean, I, I, the the artwork itself is someone that's usually kind of vain art then story. Unless the story is really bad, then I take it out on the art. It's it's beautiful. But you go ahead and you're in the the Shield command room, and you've got basically what they're doing is they're doing essentially a National Security Council brief for Director of Shield Agent Nick Fury, and you've got all these people talking about stuff going on with um, you know new chemical weapons from a guy named Mister Fear. They're talking about stuff going on in the Gaza Strip. They're talking about things going on in the astral plane above. Afghan territory. So now we're, we're bringing in the mystic side of the Marvel Universe into stuff that's going on now. At this point, we've been in Afghanistan in the real world for three years. And I love how it's both realistic and then also gets into the ultra mystical parts of the universe. It's like, you know, it's referencing real life things that we can all relate to, like events in Gaza. And then they're like, oh yeah, and the astral plane just like, you know, offhandedly. Oh yeah, and some, some weird stuff going on in the astral plane. Too, it's, so. it's almost <laughs> overwhelming. And when I'm reading yeah. this and I'm a kid, I'm just like, I, I have I'm so lost and it's kind of I mean it's kind of intimidating because you're kind of you know for for a kid I was like 12 13 when I was reading this um this is a lot of stuff going on both the comics and the real world I have no clue what's happening so for them to go ahead and continue this it's I mean it's just the next page Nick Fury hasn't even said anything he hasn't even said anything and as we continue, it then takes us back to Nick Fury being told by somebody, oh, by the way, something may have happened to Luke Cage. You should go see him. At this point, Luke Cage, the man of unbreakable skin, is in a coma in the hospital. And what he's suffering from is from internal bleeding. For those of you that know something about Luke Cage, you know this. He has impenetrable skin. So because of that, they can't operate him like normally. So I like that detail. I like that detail they put in there because they could have easily just said oh, Luke's in the hospital and he's hurt. But they, they really went deep into describing that he had internal injuries and because of his impenetrable skin, how do you operate on a guy that you can't even penetrate his skin? So that's really puts you, Luke Cage, the character, into a really unique light in terms of his damage. And I'm not sure if that's uh, something they've gone, they 
done previously with that character, but I, I found it to be really an original take. This is the first time we're going to see him really in a position where he could die. And in a way, like it's, it just shows you like he, he, he obviously put his arm over Jessica because it, reading this, I was more worried about her in a way because she's like nine months pregnant. She doesn't have the powers he does, but she's just got, you know, a couple scratches and some bleeding. Otherwise, she's fine. And while they're in the room, they're accompanied by Luke's, uh, you know, best friend in the world. Iron Fist, and he's feeling like shit right now. He's trying to distract Jessica of some sports stats and stuff, and then suddenly the last person they want to show up shows up, Nick Fury. They know that if Nick Fury is in Luke Cage's hospital room, then something is up. And at this point, Iron Fist is like, Luke, what are you doing? Jessica's like, Luke, what, what, I'm sorry, uh, Nick, what's going on? Iron yeah, Fist Nick, is like, Nick, Nick Fury is not doing? like a, a show up at the hospital with flowers kind of guy. So not if he's all. there, when, whenever up. he shows up, shit's going south. That's, it's just like, they're not happy to see him because they know that if he's here, he knows something. So that was the same thing with uh, our first episode when we went into uh, Marvel's uh, X-Men, 1991 X-Men. And yep, sure enough, when, when, uh, when Nick Fury shows up, it's because some shit's going down. We're about to go launch a, launch an attack on Asteroid M just here to let you know. So there's, it's always something you never want to see Nick Fury show up basically. Cause it doesn't mean something good. He's not just there to, to invite you to a birthday party. Yeah, I mean, and it's like over the years, I, I, I mean, this is just the, the knowledge of the canon that um, Bendis understands. Over the years, the situations that Nick Fury pulls the heroes into, they just keep escalating and escalating. And what we're getting into in this story is really him at his worst moment. So next page, we go ahead and uh, we go a year back and we've got some S.H.I.E.L.D. agents talking to a I wouldn't even call him a B-list villain. I call him a C-list villain called Killer Shrike. And they're making fun of him getting his ass kicked by Iron Man. And they're just like, what are you doing fighting that guy? And long story short, what they've done is they've arrested him and they're interrogating him because he has his hands on some really, really sophisticated tech. Like this isn't just your basic superhero universe type of stuff. This is stuff that's so technologically advanced that if losers like the Killer Shrike are getting it, you know that this this needs some attention from shield so they're interrogating yeah. him if some yeah. guy if some wacko named shrike is getting into this stuff i mean come on yeah i mean he doesn't like he he doesn't even look cool like if you're gonna be no. a, be a c-list or at least be be memorable and he's got like this long blonde ponytail and you just see him but, running away and oh in the last clip he runs face first into thor and that's when you know you're not you're not getting away at this point yeah I was really um, taken aback. Well, well, we'll get to that when, um, you know, when the, in that interrogation scene with him. Yeah. So basically they're they're really trying to dive this down. And usually when you see uh, cops or FBI agents or in this case, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents interrogating somebody, this is not the part of the comic that you remember. This goes on for three and a half pages. And what you have right there is S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Jimmy Woo. Some of you might know him from Agents of Atlas. That comes later. But Jimmy Woo is just like, I'm, I'm freaking tired of this. This guy's not telling me anything. He's freaking out. I know I can break him. So like freaking Jack Bauer from the 24, he slams his face on the table and he just starts beating the living shit out of him. And meanwhile, what's going on? People are still... I mean, 
listening in on this and other conversations. You've got some shield agents across the street in a van, and all of a sudden, somebody actually tries to break into the safe house where Agent Jimmy Woo and the other agent are interrogating um, Killer Shrike. And out of nowhere, that guy just gets electrocuted. The alarm goes off, and then it's like everybody on the street outside the small apartment and the bus they were in, the van, you find out that everyone's a freaking shield agent. Like the construction worker, the woman that was picking up groceries, the old man. They've got jetpacks, flying cars. This this really escalates it because now you know if they have this much security on this guy that this is this is beyond a regular situation for the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Some shit's going down, indeed. Yeah, so we, we continue, and now we're back to uh, a few minutes after that event. Nick Fury is on the phone of somebody, and what we later see is that that somebody is in Latveria, and that somebody is Black Widow. Black Widow's doing something for Nick Fury, and the thing to understand is you really can never tell what is a Nick Fury mission and what is a S.H.I.E.L.D. mission, because mm-hmm. usually when the Black Widow gets involved, you got to know at this point the Black Widow is no longer an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., she hasn't been for a very long time. So if he's talking to her, something something is awry. And what we later figure out is that she's been stalking somebody named the Tinker. Now, the Tinker is kind of a C-list villain, but he's one of the very first Spider-Man villains, to be exact. And what the Tinker does is he creates... He sounds so much like a Batman villain, just that he just sounds like the style of a Batman villain. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, he always came off as kind of like a James Bond villain, like an evil version of Q. And he is, um, you know, he's basically not allowed to leave the country. He hasn't done much for a while, but, you know, he's still a supervillain. He still did some evil shit. So when he leaves, it makes people notice. So he lands in Latveria, and immediately he's picked up by a few big guys. And, oh, for the record, who's in charge of Latveria? Traditionally, it's been Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom. But something happens, and he's no longer the leader of Latveria. So I'm going to touch on this in a minute. But basically, uh, what we can basically tell is that Nick Fury and Black Widow are doing something that they probably shouldn't be doing. And this is where things really escalate, and this is what really paints the context for what's about to happen. Uh, Nick Fury goes to the White House, and he's briefing the president. And long story short, Nick Fury has been tracking that the Tinker's gadgets have been getting a financial boost to upgrade them and to make them more dangerous. And this stuff has been ending up on the streets of New York and throughout the world. Uh, earlier, they talked about people like the Hobgoblin, uh, Scorpion, a few other folks. And they're like, listen, when these guys start getting all the same upgrades and it's beyond what the Tinker could typically do, we know something's up. And by the way, he just landed in Latveria. So Nick Fury is basically trying to say, look, this is all connected somehow. And we're beginning to think it might be connected to the new leader, the new democratically elected leader of Latveria, Lucia that von term, That old term, democratically elected leader. Nothing. That means you get. That <laughs> means you get to work with the United States, and it also means the United States probably installed you in that democratic process in one way or another. Yeah. In real life, and I assume probably in the Marvel universe as well. Well, I mean, what's funny is like um, when, when people talk about, oh, we shouldn't have let. This is getting slightly political, but when people are like, oh, we shouldn't have let that person get in power, we shouldn't have let that person ever become leader, it's like, we we can't really do anything. And last I checked, they held elections. Whether they were legitimate or not, they were elections, and they were elected. Yep. And uh, at the end of the day, they're pretty much all bad. So, (laughs) And when you're coming from (laughs) Latveria, yeah, I mean, when you're the successor of Dr. Doom, you could tell things are not uh, not going the way of, you know, 
love and peace and hearts and minds. It's it's going pretty south. And, and what what is the backstory about how she became the leader of Latveria over Doom at this time? Um, I'm not familiar with it. He he had basically. Uh, I think they thought he was dead at the time. He got into a fight with Fantastic Four, and long story Classic. short, they think he's dead. So she ends up uh, becoming the leader, oh, and she, yeah. as, as a longtime Fantastic Four fan, that is basically the cycle with Doctor Doom because he's he's too powerful and too big of a villain to ignore if he's there. So basically, every storyline with Doctor Doom always ends up with him sort of like gone somewhere like in another dimension or something like that. And then you don't hear from him for whatever amount of time until they were say, okay, we need Dr. Doom back. And then he gets out of that predicament we found and then we move on. And why is that folks? Because comic, books. because comics, because comics. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he shows up a photo of Lucia Vombardis and this is her first appearance. And from the get go, you know, if you're going from Dr. Doom to her, she's, she she's attractive. She's not the type of world leader we typically yeah. see. So she, Doctor Doom sets the bar pretty pretty, pretty low. low yeah. Pretty low, <laughs> especially with that mask off. Yeah. So she's there, and she's been democratically elected. And he, Nick Fury's like, I think she's involved in this. And the president is like, uh, Okay, Nick, she's got a good relation with the Secretary of Defense. We kind of like her. We don't think that this is something that you should keep going because it's going to make our new relationship, our new alliance with Latveria really kind of dicey if you're investigating them for creating weapons of mass destruction. So basically the president and the sec def shut him down and Nick Fury is pissed. Next, and you already yeah. see like the, the corruption going on, like the, the, the relationship to the real world and how it really does work with governments. Oh, there's bad stuff going on. Okay. Okay. But we've got this thing going on here. So we have to sort of ignore that bad stuff for diplomatic reasons. I mean, this is, yeah. this is exactly how the real world works in, when, uh, in the relationship, particularly the relationship between the United States and uh, governments around the world, whether they're democratically elected or not. This is, this is the playbook. My foreign policy basically comes from secret war. <laughs> good, good and bad. But this is where everything kind of connects. And Mark just hit a lot of it. Uh, next page, um, you see Nick Fury walking out and you see um, the Countess, his his co-director and his love interest running towards him. And she's like, Nick, Nick, what happened? And he just looks pissed. And long story short, Nick is actually kind of worried. And he's like, it's happening again. They're not listening to me. It's happening again. And... She's just like, what? And long story short, Nick Fury is worried that the government is going to ignore something really bad coming from Latveria, and we're going to get a catastrophic event of global proportions. This is what he says without saying. Mark, can you pick up what he meant when he said it's happening all over again? It's happening all over again in this first context. Yeah, there, there, there's a big well, event that happened in our world. Are we talking about perhaps 9-11? We're talking about 9-11. And this, this is, is obviously a, a very direct reference to, what was this, 2004 it came out? 2004. We had Still just fairly in, fresh wounds. We there. just invaded Iraq a year prior. Yeah, I mean, you can you can imagine that Nick Fury could be referencing, you know, uh, numerous other events in his sordid past. But considering the timing and all the phrasing of this whole thing, I mean, that it, it does seem like it's a pretty obvious reference. Yeah, to th- this is really a story of its time. But I mean, it's aged really well. And in moments like that, um, it really just kind of shows you how that changed everything. If we're talking about in comics. That's changing. Now, I'm going to talk about the last page of this issue, then give some context as we go forward. Uh, The last page of book one of Secret War, you see Nick Fury back in the hospital room with – 
with Danny Rand, Iron Fist, and with Jessica Jones, and he's looking down, and Nick Fury never looks sad. This is sad <laughs> David Hasselhoff, and he looks at Luke Cage, and he's just like, what have I this done? Is Has- this is David Hasselhoff drunk uh, eating like eating the Wendy's. <laughs> This is this is not a this is not a good look for Nick. He doesn't look weak, but here he is probably at his lowest moment I've ever seen him anywhere. Comics, animation, movies, film, whatever. I've never seen him like that. But basically, um, that's what he's worried about. He's worried about another potential mass terrorist attack. Uh, before we go into book two, two things I want to cover. So one, we just covered, yeah, we've got the real world influence right around 9-11. Because Marvel's world is really centered around New York, you had a lot of crossover. You had a lot of charity events. You had that fantastic uh, issue of Spider-Man where Spider-Man is at the World Trade Center helping firefighters. And it's such a big event. It was more la-di-da stuff. It was more, yeah. you know, patriotism and happiness and yeah, it all was, It was It was nationalism, essentially. And what, it, what really kind of, and this didn't irk me as much until I got older, but this just really shows that it just kind of, it, it was, I, I'm not going to say it was done in poor taste. It was written in a very emotional period. Looking back, I still think that that's a big changing period for Marvel. But at the end of that Spider-Man issue where he's out on the ground responding 9-11, you see Dr. Doom and Magneto just suddenly show up as like cameo characters and you see Dr. Doom cry. <laughs> Uh, that says something right there, and I think they did that intentionally because I can't name a period any time in comics where Doctor Doom killed civilians. So what this is basically showing is that this attack is so brutal and so inhumane, which it was, it makes Doctor Doom weep. Right. Very similar to, uh, again, I'll just keep referencing our first episode, uh, to kind of portraying Magneto as a, he's a villain, but he's not a mindless villain who, uh, you know, just goes around aimlessly killing civilians. He's a villain villain because he doesn't believe he's a villain. And uh, Dr. Doom also doesn't believe he's a villain. And, you know, he, he doesn't go around ever. He never has a plan that involves indiscriminately killing people. So, yeah. And I think this is really kind of like a, a reverse action of that because of the story where we're going to have pretty clear black and white villains whose sole motivations are simply death, fear, and destruction. Uh, So that's going on in the real world. In the comics, right before Secret War came out, uh, there was a big event called Avengers Disassembled. Basically, the Scarlet Witch's reality-altering powers went haywire. She killed Ant-Man, Hawkeye... Uh, the vision and basically left the Avengers. Don't worry, they're all alive now. They're Why, all Remzo? Because, Why, Remzo? Be, because, because comics. <laughs> so basically, that was a big event. This is the first time the event, the Avengers basically broke up. They're like, no more Avengers. So now we've got the world of 9-11. We've got all this stuff going on. By the way, there are no more Avengers. So this is the world really at its low point. This is Nick Fury really trying to stop things from getting even more worse. Which really reflected the the feeling in the world at the time. I mean, the Iraq War had just started not that long uh, before that. Like, I mean, the any kind of nationalism and happiness and joy and unity around nine eleven had pretty much faded by that point. And now it was more, um, you know, concerns over the wars, concerns over everything else that was going on politically. So I think it was like a, like a perfect reflection of, of of where we had come as as a country since nine eleven, and reflected perfectly in the kind of same procession in the comics. Absolutely, and I, I really have to emphasize this. This was the comic that really made me understand one it's a reflection of our world but two this is where we can have grander conversations when i picked this up there was no going back for me 
I mean, this really had an impact on me, not just as a fan, but as a as a teenager getting into my teenage years. It, it really made me look into things because when Nick Fury is referencing stuff that I remember seeing on TV, that's when you know this ain't your normal comic. Right. And it shows you that comics could definitely be for adults. So stuff like this helps you remain a comic book fan. Like, I don't know if I would have remained a comic book fan if I had only stuck to the classic uh, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man stuff. If I had never found Watchmen or like gone back and found Watchmen, if I never had found some of the early image work, um, you know, comics that showed you that this stuff, not only not only some of this stuff, not just for kids, some of it's not for kids like at all. Like like the, the, the violence in this comic book, like. Again, in that interrogation scene with uh, Scrife or whatever that guy's name is, uh, that was like brutally violent. Gitmo level stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was like they were essentially torturing the guy to get information. And these are the guys that are being portrayed as the heroes. Um, But it's not black and white. We see the nuance. Um, You know, it's 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 not quite like law and order where where, you know, the, the, the law is always the good guys. These are the good guys in the story. But we as the reader know that they're doing bad things and doing things in the way they shouldn't. He's even talking about, you know, I have my rights and they're they're basically like, you don't have rights with us. What are you talking about? You're a super villain. You don't have any due process. What do you think? We're like normal cops. (laughs) Come on. This is shield, bitch. Yeah. And I mean, which really reflects the attitude towards terrorism at the time in Guantanamo Bay. Like, yeah, we have rights in this country and everybody has them unless we've put you into this certain category and then they go away. So, I mean, that we're seeing the exact same thing here. Yeah. There's a moment later on that we're going to get to where it's he Bendis really kind of puts it at the point where it's like, if you thought maybe he's alluding to some things, oh, he's not alluding to it. Now he's just blatantly telling you what he's thinking. And it's 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 beautiful. But anyway, book two opens up with Captain america fighting some terrorists looking badass as hell with his shield just completely tearing people apart and then after very cinematic the artwork it's very cinematic this really did remind me of uh, winter soldier in many ways yeah yeah i was thinking the exact same thing in that that first panel where he's throwing the shield and it just it's like like I think Alex Ross was. I wouldn't put Alex Ross. I put. I would put Alex Ross at probably a higher level. Alex uh, Ross this. paints the paintings that God would approve of. Right, but this is like Alex Ross if you could capture his essence and and draw a little more quickly <laughs> because you yeah. can't. You can't. You know, uh, it would have to take Alex Ross. You know, a year and a half to probably do a book like this. Yeah, I mean the the Delato art is a lot sleeker. It's a lot shinier, kind of like J.J. Abrams constantly using reflections and strobes and stuff, and it's it's very action heavy you see a lot of motion which a lot of artists don't often capture but he does it so perfectly here so captain america uh he's on a rooftop later catching you know catching his breath and next you know nick fury comes and like always when nick fury shows up shit's going down shit's bad things are happening he's not there to bring you chocolates my friends yeah and it's you know Captain America, who's usually portrayed as a more chipper person, he looks at Nick Fury and he's immediately pissed. He's like, ah, what are you doing here? What do you want? And Nick Fury is like, I need a favor. And it's like for Captain America, it's like the classic uh, for Rick and Morty fans, especially you son of a bitch. I'm in. It's, like, uh, it's here's this guy again. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't stand this guy. I hate this guy. But God damn it, I respect him. So, of course, I'm in. 
Yeah, and it, you know, in the next page, it, it gets really funny, and this begins to kind of allude to what's going on. Uh, this scene takes place because it's a year ago. The Avengers are still around, so by the time we're talking about our modern time, the Avengers have disassembled, and Captain America's like, "Okay, all right, I'll assemble the." Ev-. And before he says that, Nick Fury's like, "No, no Avengers." And Cap's like, "What? What are you talking about?" And Nick Fury, this is where he really begins to push the limits of this relationship. He's like, "No Avengers, no Shield," and. Captain America's like, okay, man, like, what, what, what do you, what do you need then? And Nick Fury says something secret. That's when you know shit's going down. Right, right. So next page, uh, we're seeing Daredevil, and I think there's some of the best Daredevil art ever. I, I don't. Okay, I'm not a fan of Daredevil in the way that others are fans. Uh, I, I'm not really a person. I, I've collected some Daredevil runs by, like, Mark Wade and uh, I was going to say, the one Daredevil run I read was Mark Wade, I think, in the 90s. Yeah. If and it, I did enjoy it. If it's not Mark Millar, Mark Wade, or Frank Miller, I'm not, I'm not reading Daredevil. But I like seeing Daredevil, f- you know, work with and fight with other heroes and villains and stuff. Right. So this uh, this right now, when I see Daredevil, I'm like, oh, we're getting a cool Daredevil team-up story. So Daredevil goes to his law office, the law offices of Nelson and Murdoch. He's going back into lawyer mode, and he sees Nick Fury, and immediately he's like, ah, shit, what's happening? And then Nick Fury recruits him. Next page, we go back to a you know a, a completely badass, like seven-foot-tall Luke Cage, and he's beating up a drug dealer, and he's like, what's my name? And the kid's trying <laughs> to scream, and he's like, what's my name? And the kid's like, Luke Cage, <laughs> He's like, what's my name? And then suddenly he's like, Luke Cage, Power Man, and he just completely drops him. So he's intimidated, this drug dealer. He's like, okay, that's another day on the streets of Harlem. Turns around and he sees Nick Fury. And without any thought balloons or thought or word bubbles, you can just think he's thinking, oh shit. Here it is again, you <laughs> son of a bitch. I'm in. <laughs> this is where things for me, it feels like I'm watching this next scene. I'm like, this is a little bit invasive. I, you know, Nick Fury finding people on the street when they're working, maybe going to their office. Okay, I get that. The next part is with Spider-Man. He's just finished up a patrol. He's going back home to see his wife, MJ. And who does he find there? He finds Nick Fury. Now, Mark, I don't know about you, but if someone I don't <laughs> like, even from work, shows up to maybe something else I'm doing, okay, if I run into them on the street, okay, if they call me, even though I'm probably going to reject their call, like a voicemail, I'll still talk to them. You show up right. to my house and start talking to my wife, that's a problem. That's a that's boundary creepy. issue. That's creepy. That's definitely a boundary issue. It's like a, it's like if someone started, like, PMing your girlfriend on Facebook, basically. It's basically the same thing. Now we got bad blood. <laughs> and, you know, Peter Parker, he's still... He, he will always be one of the more innocent heroes, despite how dark his stories usually get. But he's he's not immediately mad Nick Fury, but he knows, oh, God, Nick Fury's here. What's going to happen? At this point, Nick Fury has assembled the team, but we haven't seen everyone yet. You see uh, Captain America, Luke Cage, Spider-Man, Daredevil. They're all going to the airport. They're flying to Latveria, and they all start seeing each other. Matt Murdock and Spider-Man, you know, they're friends, so they see each other, and they're like, oh, well, this is cool, but, like, what are you doing here? I didn't know who else he got, and they notice a few other people. And then suddenly they see a stewardess getting harassed, and we see everyone's Mary Mutant. Wolverine, drunk like yeah. a skunk, being inappropriate. You know, he's hitting on the stewardess. He just wants nothing to do with him. And it takes 
um, Captain America basically telling him to sit the fuck down. Well, he says, you know, sit down or I'll remove you from the plane. Got it, soldier. It takes Captain America, probably the only person Wolverine ever respects other than Professor X, to get him to calm down. At that point, everyone knows who's there because they didn't even see Captain America before that. So now we've got uh, Captain America, Wolverine, Luke Cage, Daredevil, and Spider-Man. We've got this mystery character who keeps popping up. We, We haven't been introduced to her yet. But by the time they get to Latveria, who else do they run into? They run into Black Widow. And they know that if Nick Fury and Black Widow are, are up to something, things aren't going bad. So you see, folks, this is escalating. They don't know who's going. They don't know why they're going there. But they just know once Nick Fury and Black Widow get involved, this is not this is not cool. Uh, and these are yeah. all people who over the years, like you might say, Oh, Nick Fury won for one event or another. So they're all ultimately, even though they know they're probably up to something, something shifty, not as shifty as, as they would later realize. Uh, but, you know, they all feel like, you know, if, if Nick thinks this is serious, then even if we don't like this guy, even if he shows up talking, talking to my wife and, and weird stuff like that. And ultimately, all right, we got it. We got to go see what's going on here because this guy is on the inside and he knows more than any of us. And we're heroes. So we got to listen to Nick. That's basically the idea. I really enjoyed uh, the scene on the plane when uh, Peter Parker was you know all freaking out about Wolverine recognizing his scent because he's not supposed to be Spider-Man he's just supposed to be this guy Peter Parker on a plane uh, but Wolverine obviously has like that that super super extra scent so he's he's sniffing him out and you know implying that he knows who he is while uh, Peter's just kind of like freaking out about it and wanting him not to say his name even though ultimately I think they all know like they, they kind of address it later on like 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 Matt Murdock and Peter Parker know who each other are but but don't like they do but they don't you know kind of thing it's like they have this respectful boundary where they're not going <laughs> right. to talk about work outside the workplace type yeah of thing. like we're on the, we're in the superhero circles we all know what we do but we don't say it in public all right you don't talk about superhero club yeah even with other superheroes and uh, i mean just off the bat i think this is one of my favorite teams despite them not being like a formal team this is probably one of my favorite team up stories ever because sometimes what you have in some teams is where one character really outshines the others or maybe a few characters are a bit too similar what i love about all these characters is that they're so they're they're so grounded in who they are and bendis knows how to write them so perfectly because they clash in certain ways and because they complement each other in other ways this just i mean this is really like if I were Nick Fury and if I were about to go down and do some like doomsday level shit, these are the people I'd want to have with me. Exactly. Yeah. And what's interesting about all of these characters is they're all, obviously they all have, well, Black Widow doesn't have powers per se, uh, but they all have, they, none of them are like super power, super mega powered. Uh, none of them are, are like a Captain Marvel type who can just come in and destroy everything. They're, they're, they're street all, level heroes. Yeah. They're street heroes. There you go. That's the way to put it. Yeah. But these are the guys you want in a bar fight. Um, yeah, exactly. Before they leave, they see this one the one girl that was following them. Uh, and for the record, I had to find this out later. Uh, this character is her first appearance. This is Daisy Johnson, a.k.a. Quake. She's only 16 in this comic, and this is her first mm. appearance. And she's basically uh-huh. she's basically Nick Fury's real uh, right-hand woman. And we'll see Quake become more popular later in the Secret Warriors series. And now you probably know her more famously from uh, her adaption in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. So if you don't know her from anywhere else, you at least know her from ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, So she joins them, and they're like, we have no clue who this chick is, but Black Widow says she's with us, so whatever. So they go to this, uh, this, like, B&B down in Doomstadt, 
that's the capital of Latvia, Doomstadt, and they're waiting for Nick Fury. They're like, where the hell is he? And this is this is kind of funny. And this is just really Nick Fury kind of. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from Ad Force. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screens. On sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Poking at them. But you see this this woman come in with a with a whole platter full of food and beer. And they're all like, okay, well, now we can't talk because the civilian's here. Next thing you know, she stands in front of them. Her face begins to melt off. And what do you see? Nick Fury in disguise. Just a classic <laughs> Nick Fury thing. Classic. Yeah, so this is where things really start to level out and where the story really gets serious. Basically, he tells them why they've been assembled. Why? Because B-list and C-list supervillains are now getting access to terrible, terrible shit. We track the Tinker, and oh, by the way, he's being funded and supported by the new regime by uh, Lucia von Bardis of Latveria, and we're going to go ahead and take her out. But by that, they don't really know what he means because this is foreign policy international shit. These heroes don't do that, and they really don't like the fact that this isn't being sanctioned by the Avengers or by S.H.I.E.L.D. or even by the U.S. government. So at this point... It's not sanctioned yeah. by anybody, but Nick Fury. Yeah, at this point, like they're in because they're there and they want to prevent you know, a future 9-11, but now they're really starting to see, oh... This is this is the favor to end all favors. Yep, yep, indeed. This is the shit is about to go down. And uh, yeah, I just I just love the team that's assembled. It's just it's just there's no one on this team. Well, okay, maybe Captain America is not quote unquote cool in the classic sense. I think he's pretty cool, but um, otherwise it's just it's just a cool team. It's, they, it's just, and it's a team you don't see normally teamed up together either. Yeah, um, I think this is the this is the series that makes people realize. Yeah, I mean it's hard to fight Captain America, but Captain America knows how to like beat you down if he needs to. Uh, we right. go to the next page, and this is where you really start to see a different side of Steve Rogers that you usually don't see. This is Steve Rogers losing his shit. We're back in our modern time today, and we're back in Luke Cage's hospital room, and who shows up? Captain America. And Captain America looks at the room, and he sees Luke Cage all wired up and with the tubes down his throat, and he's like, good lord, it's true, and here you are. I told you, I told you this would happen. And Nick Fury's like, listen, man, this at-ease soldier, this... We, we could talk about this. What does he do? He bitch slaps Nick Fury. <laughs> Which I loved. That was like, the, that's the highlight of this. Because nobody bitch slaps Nick Fury. That and Captain America doesn't normally bitch slap people. Ever. So it's a double, double whammy. This is, the, this is the most epic bitch slap in all of comic 
book history. <laughs> and it's so perfect because it conveys how how you, you you don't know the full story still at this point, but it conveys that that uh, Captain America, who doesn't really lose his cool like this, doesn't just go around bitch slapping people. He feels betrayed by Nick Fury, like he or or something. Like he is pissed off, and he's not putting up with this shit anymore. He's not he's he's done listening to Nick Fury, and he's over it with whatever went down. Which of course we'll learn more as the story goes on. Like he's not having it anymore. Yeah, and I don't know about you, Mark, but like I, I've been in a couple fights. I feel like if you're gonna bitch slap somebody, that's personal. Like you want them to know, and you want others to right. see. It's worse than a. It's worse than like like a you know a roundhouse punch. You know, it's like it's like not only am I striking you, but I am striking you like you are a bitch. This isn't just a <laughs> physical attack; it's an emotional attack. <laughs> and that, at exactly. the end of this, you see a few more uh, squares. I told you this would happen. I told you this would happen. Damn you for what you did to us. So this is him mm-hmm. bitch slapping people and screaming and. Is just no chill. Yeah, and I really like the non-linear way they told this story because I didn't know that going in. I thought it was just going to be a straightforward because uh, I knew the base, basic plot. I thought it was going to be like, okay, Nick Fury assembles a team, and then we go see them to go to the, do the mission, and whatever happens happens. But they they really lay this out in, in a unique way where while you're learning what's going on, you know, behind the scenes in the background, you're just getting more and more of the sense of dread of what really happened, and you never, you know, not never. Eventually, we get to what really happened, but this whole time, even a couple issues in, you still don't know exactly what happened. Uh, and you just you just know that Nick Fury assembled some team and some stuff went down and pa- Captain America is really freaking pissed about it. And I really like how they continue to build this mystery. They don't just lay it all out for you in the beginning. They they take you issue by issue. So as you're seeing the action play out in two different timelines in in um, you know in, in, in the present where Luke Cage is attacked and then everything's going on with uh, Captain America confronting Nick Fury, uh, you're also seeing what happened in the past in a nonlinear fashion. While in, instead the, the reader just we get to see the emotion. We know with there's such a sense of emotion around what's going on, but we're, we're just, there's a mystery unfolding. So it's just, it's just really perfectly done. Yeah. And I mean, just from a publishing look at this, I'm, I'm so happy that one, this was a limited series because now you can have this really singular, concise story. Secondly, unlike other Marvel events, there were no tie-ins. There are no, you know, crossovers. There's no way to possibly spoil something. And third, I mean, I think the problem with a lot of events these days is they really try and build up, you know, this big monumental fight or crisis or moment, and it doesn't pay off. This is a book where, as you mentioned, issue by issue, it's building up and it's paying off in dividends. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really guiding the reader along the story instead of just, you know, showing you the whole thing. It's really, it's masterfully done. Yeah, and speaking of masterfully done, the first full, this is a two-page spread, folks, for book three. The first, well, as soon as you open it, you see this giant, like, two-page full spread of this giant freaking fight. And I got to tell you, it is a crime that the costumes that the heroes are waiting are wearing, the stuff that Nick Fury provide them with, it's a crime mm-hmm. that they've never shown up anywhere else in comics or yeah. anywhere. These are just, they look sleek and badass and tough as hell. And this isn't like your typical superhero, supervillain fight. You're seeing these supervillains, even C-listers, like you've got like a messed up Doc Ock there. You've got um, Vulture. I mean, these dudes are not usually the ones that you're terrified of. These guys look like they went to prison, got bulk, and did meth. They're scary. (laughs) Everyone looks more badass 
in this in this uh, you know in the scene. Yeah, and this is just an absolute grudge match. You've got Wolverine just like slicing people up. You've got Quake. Uh, she hasn't told you what her earthquake powers are, but you can see through here she's cracked the yeah, freaking. It's fairly ground. obvious by her name. Yeah. <laughs> Some, if you're like me, you're like, I want to know what it means. I want to know what it is. I was, I needed to be told explicitly. But yeah, see, you know, yeah. I, I once I had Quake, I think I said, okay, she makes she makes Earth trembles or something. Whatever. Well, what what, what, does, what what do you think of when you think of Killer Shrike? <laughs> I don't think of anything. You, you see, what I don't I know mean? what a Shrike. Is. <laughs> I don't know what a Shrike is supposed to be. What is a Shrike? Is it a? Is it? I'm gonna look up Shrike right now. Shrike. Let's see. Let's see. This is what you get here on the second print comics. Li- well, okay. Be with us in the moment. <laughs> this is amazing. A shrike is this bird. You need to Google this too, because when you see this bird and you realize that they're connecting a villain to this tiny, adorable bird, it's it's really hilarious. Oh, but it's a carnivorous bird. So maybe, so maybe he that's eats why it's people. Scary. Oh, this is actually gets interesting when you read about the bird. Shrikes are carnivorous. Pa- Passerine, I have no idea what that word means. Birds of the family Lanidae, who cares? The family is composed of 33 species. The family name and that of the largest genus, Lanius, is derived from the Latin word for butcher. So you might call him killer butcher, but as a cute little bird. As a cute little bird. <laughs> okay, suddenly I have more respect for Killer Shrike. Yeah, I actually I, I thought I was going to lose respect for him, which I did initially, and then I gained respect for him because the, the bird is known as a butcher because of their feeding habits, because they are carnivorous. I don't know what they eat. Exactly. Uh, I'm not going to do a full deep dive on, on strikes right now, but or am I? I don't know. We got all day. Um. See, folks, now when you see Killer Shrike, you'll have so much extra knowledge. Names matter. Names matter. Why? Why do names matter? Because comics. Anyway, because comics. Uh, yeah, because strikes. Because strikes. So the next page, they, they have hooked. They have hooked beaks. So that's uh, which reflects their predatory where, nature. Where do these things live? Uh, let's see. We're hopefully not too close by. Uh, this is see. what 2020 Mostly, needs right now. Murder birds. Yeah, we murder shrikes. Uh, we need killer shrikes. That's the last thing we need. <laughs> you're, you're, they're, they're in uh, Eurasia and Africa, basically. We're safe. And, oh, We're safe, America. And there's, and there's two spe- – nope, there's two species that breed in North America, the loggerhead and the great gray shrike. So we are not necessarily safe. <laughs> This is exactly what 2020 needs. More murder birds. I'm trying to find out what they... Okay, they eat lizards. That's, uh, what? that's freaky. There's a picture here of a lizard impaled on thorns by a southern gray shrike. This lizard was not just killed by the shrike. The shrike impaled it on thorns in order to murder it. I am... Getting, Killer shrike might... Well, Killer shrike himself is a pretty lame villain, as we saw. I think we need to upgrade him from, like, C-lister or B-lister. He at least deserves that. This needs that. to be... Our mission needs to be to revitalize Killer Shrike. This should be our mission in the comic books industry, whether it be actually getting a job at Marvel and and doing it or through a hashtag campaign of some kind. Killer Shrike is, oh, my gosh. Respect the Shrike. Yeah, respect Respect the the Shrike. Shrike. That's the subtitle of today's episode, Respect the Shrike. Killer Shrike has just now meant more to me than I ever thought he would. (laughs) See, this is what you get, the Second Print Comics podcast. You get live Google research that you could do on your own if you wanted to, but probably never would. So there you go. (laughs) Anyway, next page, we see the flashbacks. It's all in like this uh, purple drab uh, 
uh, filter, and you see these smaller squares of Peter Parker, and this is Peter Parker now. So we've got the flashback, and then we've got Peter Parker now. And it's like he's remembering this stuff, and he's freaking out, and he's like, why am I thinking about this? And long story short, he's at dinner for his anniversary with his wife, Mary Jane, and he's just like, I- I've got these memories, and it's like, have you ever have you ever had a dream while you know, you're like awake? And she's like like a daydream, and he he just doesn't know how he feels. It's too it's too vivid and too clear to have been just a dream. And the fact that he's actually starting to become emotionally disturbed by this, especially as he thinks more about it, uh, it gets worse. And later they they fast forward to him sleeping, and he's seeing Nick Fury just completely like murdering a whole bunch of supervillains and awesome Nick Fury like. A session and he wakes up screaming. When spite when you make Spider Man wake up screaming, you know things are getting serious. It's a weird nightmare to have, man. Weird nightmare. Yeah, so now we're back at Luke Cage's hospital after, you know, Captain America has just belittled and bitch slapped Nick Fury in something that you will never forget once you see it. And Nick Fury's just like, get outside, Captain Addies, get outside, because he's trying to save face. This isn't Nick Fury really trying to tell him. He's just trying to save face because nobody, you know, plops him on his ass, nonetheless bitch slaps Nick Fury in front of other people. And this is where they're like, okay, this is this is weird. Danny Rand and Jessica Jones are like, what's going on? And Cap is like, listen, you guys got to get to safety. Jessica, you've got a kid coming. Danny, use your iron fist and protector. And this is where we kind of leave off with Cap for now. And that's what we see from Iron Fist in this series. <laughs> Somebody who- Just use your damn Iron Fist and then look after her. I, I got to go. Yeah, it's like you- we all know what you do. We don't like you that much. So just just yeah. be there for her as a as a, as an emotional support superhero. I want to like Iron Fist so bad, but I've never been did, able. Did you watch to. the Netflix series? I so I watched season one. Didn't love it. Like it was okay. And I also watched Defenders, which was better, but still only okay. I heard season two is better, but I never watched it. I, I will say this: I did not really like Iron Fist in the comics, and I watched both seasons of Iron Fist and Defenders. Uh, I think Defenders was pretty atrocious. The first season of Iron Fist was just so... It was basically they just ripped off Arrow. But I will say for the second season, when they bring in Steel Serpent, the villain... um, I, I forget the actor's name, but the guy who plays the villain is so good at what he does, it makes up for everyone else's inadequacies. All right, well, maybe well, maybe worth going back and watching if I uh, get if bored they, again in this pandemic. If they, well, I, I would rather watch the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury. Or have they removed those from Netflix? They're, they're never leaving. Those are Netflix properties. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, lovely. Yeah, I will I will never go back and watch those. I would rather watch the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury Agent of the oh, Shield. Yeah. That's saying something. That is we are going to schedule that as soon as we get off air. Like that that's happening. It's happening, folks. Okay, so I might not be able to wait. I might have to turn it on as soon as we as soon as we I end wouldn't the show. blame you. You'll be better for it or worse if off. If I'm not too if I'm not too immersed in strike research, strike research still. We'll see. The, the Shrike is a captivating creature. I will say that. Uh, now we're on to Daredevil looking as awesome as possible, jumping and leaping off rooftops, and he gets to his apartment. And who does he see there? He sees Spider Man in his apartment drinking his milk. And they, they're like, dude, Peter, what are you doing? And they're having this conversation. They're like, hey Matt, have you had any like weird memories i've been having these weird thoughts about us with our friends fighting supervillains in latveria and they begin to basically realize wait a second we've been having the same dreams what tell me about yours they'll tell you about mine they're starting to really understand it uh right at the end of this page they get a call from jessica jones they're 
well, Matt gets a call, and she's like, Matt, Luke is in the hospital. We need you. Steve Rogers was here. Nick Fury's here. It's I'm freaking out. And what do you know? They get this, uh, both his, you know, Daredevil sense and Spider-Man spider sense go off. They jump out the window. They know something's about to happen. And just like when, well, not the exact same way, but just like what happened in Luke Cage, Matt Murdock's apartment blows up. I mean, just it's it's not as bad as what happened in Luke Cage, but the entire top floor is is gone. A lot of apartment buildings are blowing up in this, and don't they live at least in the Netflix shows? Don't they live in like the same area? Yeah, I mean, Har- Harlem is adjacent to uh, to Brooklyn, where uh, no Spider Man. Sp- okay, so Daredevil is Hell's from- Kitchen is what they call the area in the comics. Yeah, Hell's Kitchen is adjacent yeah. to Harlem. Spider Man is from Queens, so they're all just like a borough away from each other. Right. Yeah. So, net, wh- so yeah. yeah. So what? Bad shit's going down. Yeah. And the, the strike hasn't even appeared again yet. <laughs> what, <laughs> what you see next is you see two villains. One is called Scorcher. The other is Diamondback. And what you basically can tell is that they're the ones responsible for blowing up Daredevil's apartment. They're bantering back and forth, and you, you see them fight. It's a pretty straightforward fight between Spider-Man and Daredevil versus the Scorcher and Diamondback. But that's basically it. It goes on for a few more pages. They're trying to figure out what's going on but what they both realize is that these two villains are way deadlier than when they last fought them whenever they did the scorcher has a giant suit compared to what he usually had he's able to blow up an entire you know top floor of a building that's not normal and somehow diamondback is flying last they checked she doesn't do that either so now we're back to the hospital. Nick Fury and Steve Rogers have stopped screaming at each other, and they know what's going on. And this is when, like, they don't even show it, but they say it. And this is when you know, oh, Captain America's changed. Um, mm-hmm. Captain America's talking to, to Nick Fury about how he knew something was wrong. And basically, Captain America was going home from a long day of protecting the world, and he's attacked by Doc Octopus, the female version, Lady Octopus in some circles. And long story short, um, <laughs> you see the flashback. You see Captain America about to get attacked, but goes straight back to him talking to Nick Fury, and he's like, "I held them off. Um, I bashed the girl in the face with the other one's glider. The other one was Hobgoblin, and he's like, not my proudest moment, but it worked. They panic and took off. <laughs> when he is gonna hit a lady, you know he's done with their shit. Exactly, he is done with it." They are done with all this shit. Yeah. So, and this is where everything really starts to tie back in together. Suddenly, Steve Rogers and Nick Fury are outside. Daredevil and Spider-Man in costume jump down on them, and they're like, Nick, you've got some explaining to do. And at this point, Nick Fury is like, okay, I got to tell you guys what's going on. It's about time. Before he does that, Daredevil's like, wait a second. Look across the street, and they see, you know, something coming at them. Uh, one of the cars right behind them blows up, and before they know it, they look around, and every supervillain from New York is there about to kick ass. You see in another two-page amazing spread, Lady Octopus, Mentallo, Hobgoblin, Mr. Fear, uh, you got Grim. It's quite a crew. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I can't even name some of these people. You got Shocker in the middle. You got Crossfire in the corner. You got Scorpion with. I mean, he he just looks intimidating as hell. And you've got Crimson Dynamo. And you see glimpses of other people behind them and in the corner. And you just know these guys just didn't wake up one day and said, "Hey, let's uh, let's team up together with all our new shit and take these guys down." These guys are predominantly what I would consider B-list villains. 
And if they're all together, that means somebody is pulling the strings, but we don't just know yet. Yeah, none of these guys are the leader type. Yeah, so that's the... They're the, I, they're the, I just need a job, and, you know, I'll, this is what I do. I'm a supervillain for hire. Yeah, so, so that's the yeah. end of book three. Now we're on to book four. And, you know, right back in modern times, all the other heroes have just been faced with, you know, explosions coming out of nowhere and all these guys all looking angry and upgraded about to kill him. You see somebody attempt to kill Wolverine outside of the Westchester X mansion and he he gets blown up and he's not having it. And by the time you're like, oh, crap, what just happened to Wolverine? You go back to New York with the other heroes and you see just this another two. I mean, uh, this guy loves two page spreads and I love him, too. He yes. just does such a good job at it. And you're seeing all the heroes that we saw previously. But this time Captain America is back in his costume and stuff fighting people. I mean, it's crazy. I don't even know what he's fighting right there. Captain America in the middle of his page is finding like a giant spider robot. I think that's a spider slayer. And it's yeah, just everything is some fest. kind of spider, spider robot or robo something. It's all like, yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's just a disaster. It's a mess. Yeah, and a beautiful disaster. Yeah, I mean, I could tell you what's going on the next couple pages. You, this is why you got to read it, folks. I can't do it justice. They're just like the heroes are freaking out because when the B listers are giving them a run for their money, you know something's going up. It gets to the point where Iron Man has to go ahead and call. I, I'm sorry, where Captain America has to call Iron Man to come down and provide support, and Nick Fury is calling the Fantastic Four when the these guys, when these heavy hitters are calling for backups for backup against the B-listers, things are just out of hand. Things are out of hand, exactly. Yeah. Which is exactly what Nick Fury was afraid of happening when he launched his whole secret war. But here we are. Yeah. So basically, the fight continues. Our heroes are almost pinned down. But then suddenly, uh, the Fantastic Four shows up. And like always... The thing is, like, it's clobbering time. They start beating the shit out of these guys, but out of nowhere, all the heroes get knocked out. And now you see the big villain. It's this crazy cyborg chick who just looks like something out of Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. And she's so freaky, everyone's freaking out. You see Captain America look up, and he's just like, shit, this is not how I wanted my day to end. I already beat. I already beat the octopus lady into a pulp by bashing her head against some bricks. Now I've got to deal with this lady. And what you're basically able to figure out is that that's Lucia Von Bardis. But she has been upgraded into a terrifying cyborg creature by the Tinker. So last we checked, she was alive. All these guys were just B-listers. What's happening? Now Nick Fury's like, okay, we got to attack. And they're just like, Nick, what what the hell is going on? And they try. And at this yeah. point, at this point, the reader still doesn't know what they did. But you know, and actually, no, actually, even the the team doesn't even know what they did yet at this point, right? Yeah, yeah they they still aren't aware. Yeah. And I mean, they can't fight her because as soon as they start doing it, she projects this like magnetic energy field, and she's she she's just. I mean, they're, they're terrified. They can't hit her. If you can't hit someone, you can't punch them. If you can't punch them, you can't take them mm-hmm. down. And she's just intimidating the living hell out of them. What we basically learn is that. This is this is Lucia Von Bardis. She is a cyborg and she's pissed at Nick Fury and these heroes. And Nick Fury knows what he does, what he did, but the other heroes have no clue what happened. And basically what she has done is she's turned herself into a giant bomb. But to make it worse, in all the suits and upgrades all these other villains have, she put like a computer virus in them or something that's gonna make them a bomb. And long story short, she's not only gonna use herself and the villains to kill all the heroes, she's gonna blow up all of New York City. And the only way they're able to do this is by uh, the invisible woman creating a field around 
her and her team and some of the villains because she's she's a hero. She's got to try and save them and concentrating a shield around Lucia Vombardis. So basically, as the explosions happen, they're contained. And in the last panel, before we see her just completely blow up, she screams, this is a bomb, Nick Fury, and you pulled the trigger. And mm-hmm. that's that's that. For all we know, all of our heroes at this point are dead, and that's the end of issue four. You have no clue where things have left off. You just know that everyone is confused, everyone's been beaten to shit, and somehow this is all Nick Fury's fault. Right. I mean, if I didn't know there was a fifth issue and I didn't know there was a Marvel Universe, I might think everybody was dead. Yeah. So uh, now on to issue five, we see us after all this. Now we've jumped way more into the future. You see uh, direct the new director of S.H.I.E.L.D. And you're like, new director? Last I checked, Nick Fury. I mean, he might be dead, but he should be director of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's interrogating Daisy Johnson quick. So now, you know, at least... Nick Fury's out. We don't know if he's dead or if he's gone. And Quake is still there. And she's debriefing um, Maria Hill, the new director of S.H.I.E.L.D. And this is her first appearance as well. She's going to be a big player throughout the Marvel Universe for years to come. And she's trying to figure out what's going on. And Quake is playing coy. So by the time she starts kind of telling people what's going on, now she's kind of narrating the story. We go back to another full-page spread of you know New York from a sky view. And I didn't notice this prior, but you see the giant blast, and then the next page where the image spreads, you see two beams of light shooting up. That's definitely the side of the World Trade Center. So now we could definitely see where mm-hmm. this is in perspective of the city. And apparently, we're no yeah. longer being coy about about the correlation. You know, this is this is all a political statement at this point. And this takes place six hours before that Maria Hill debrief. You see uh, small square panels of everyone just like flying all over the place, getting beaten up, and. Um, at this point, Lucia Vombardis hasn't blown up yet. The thing goes and beats the crap out of her. And as everyone's trying to contain her, make sure that only she blows herself up, they eventually are able to stop her. She, like, disintegrates, and the bombs that from all the villains basically malfunction as well. So basically, the battle is over. And at this point, now it's time for some answers because the heroes are recouping. They're looking around. Nick Fury is up, and they're just like, Fury, you, you gotta you gotta tell us. And Captain America comes out, and Captain America's like, tell us or I will. Going back a little bit, you know, we gotta remember, at this point in time, Captain America has what is called a level nine shield clearance. And Captain America has been able to tell, and we'll see this in the next couple pages, that someone was messing with his mind. So he goes to S.H.I.E.L.D. and he's like, someone's been messing with my mind. Tell me what I'm missing. Uh, They basically restore his mind. They're like, sir, the only person who could have done this to you is Director Fury. And suddenly he's mad at Nick Fury because he gets all his memories back. So now Captain America is like, Nick, you got to tell them or I'm going to tell them. And right before he can do that, who shows up? The X-Men. And who's in front of them? Wolverine. And Wolverine is pissed because guess who also is able to remember and break past those mind blocks? The person who's had his mind messed with more than anyone, Wolverine. So at this point, Mm -hmm. everyone's surrounding him. It's like, Nick, you're not getting out of here until you tell us. What is up with this shit? Yeah. At this point now, it's it's very wordy. The next two pages basically 
re, you know, refresh you with everything that's happened from issue one to now, including what was up with Captain America and why Fury did what he did. But basically now, uh, a few pages after that, we're back to Spider-Man's flashback that was at the beginning of issue four, where you see all the heroes just completely beating the shit out of everyone. And long story short, um, Nick Fury is going to kill the Prime Minister of Latveria. He's there with the intention of killing and destroying Castle Doom, and he's going to try and stop all these weapons of mass destruction and all these villains from getting out. I love how this whole arc again was laid out because in any other story you know, that was laid out in a more linear fashion – you would see this battle in episode one. Yeah. In an episode. I keep, I keep calling every issue episodes. That's my theme. You would see this in issue one. Instead, we see the buildup to see what actually did happen this whole time. And it's just, I just really love the way that the whole story was laid out because, you know, it keeps the reader in suspense. While we always know something bad happened, we never really know exactly how bad or exactly what it was or exactly why Captain America is so furious, furious with Nick Fury. Uh, and then we get, the, we really get the payoff with not only seeing the cool battle, but seeing well i'll let you i'll let you yeah i mean like you were saying mark this is peak brian michael bendis this is really him when he is running the show so now you know all the villains have been defeated they're in castle doom and who do we see we see lucia von bardis and she's like nick fury you're not allowed here i called your president and they are not happy that you're here and of course they also told me that you've been lying to them and you don't want to be here nonetheless with and this is what's funny i think you bring your flag waving captain america here to distract me to ask me nicely a bow before you not knowing i won't then you do this you attack us and that is that is just painting that thick you think you can just come here and just because there's a secret you still want us to see captain america because we you want me to know that this is america you don't mess with us and you know she at this point they're like okay what do we do and some of the heroes are like are we gonna kill her and some are like, I'm, I'm not here to murder someone. So what does Quake do? She walks over and she's like, you want me to bring it down? And Nick Fury is like, this is how you teach them. That right there, <laughs> that one line is like. It's like chills, chills. Because, I mean, this is shock and awe to new extremes. Mm-hmm. What happens? Because, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's bad enough that they are brought there to kill a foreign leader, you know, against, you know, without any kind of authorization from the U S government or, or what have you They're They're completely just going on fury alone. But then when you realize the extent of what fury plans to do, I mean, you begin to realize that he, Nick fury is committing an act of terrorism. He's about to commit an act of terrorism on the people of Lavaria. I mean, there's, there's no other thing you can call it. And to be honest and to be consistent, he might not be the villain in this comic. It's obviously Lucia von Bardis, but he is certainly not the hero. Sure. I mean, he might not even be an anti-hero. I, it's, it's hard to, to exactly categorize what Nick Fury is. I think you said this in our first episode. Nick Fury just is Nick Fury. I mean, you know, he is, a, he is not a good guy. He is not a bad guy. All we know about Nick Fury is that he is the guy, and he knows what's going on behind the scenes, and when he shows up, bad shit's going to happen. Yeah, like he is supposed to represent order and law within the Marvel Universe, but more often than not, he ends up just instilling chaos. And what you see in mm-hmm. the next page after that is Doom, Castle Doom and Doomstot is basically leveled. And this isn't stated, but it's implied. Not only do a ton of the villains die, but Lucia Von Bardis is believed to have been killed. And what 
also freaks a lot of heroes out is that a lot of civilians have also been killed as a result of this. It's so bad that when Nick Fury wraps up the story, you see all the heroes staring at him like, are you telling us that we just murdered a ton of people? And Emma Frost, one of the most callous characters from the X-Men, she's just looking at him. She's like, and this is the, this is the only thing she says in the book. Oh, my God. Like when you're freaking her out, <laughs> right. that's something. And this is a point where she's only recently kind of joined more with, with the good guys. Like most of her career, she was, you know, she was an, a baddie. Yeah. So she's, so she's stunned and seen some shit in her day. So that if she is horrified by what, by what is going down, then, you know, it's horrifying. Yeah. And basically the last flashback you see is that the heroes have somehow come out of this, um, you know, unscathed and they're like, how, and long story short, the super comic booky stuff, but Nick Fury gave them those special suits, not just to conceal their identities, even though you could still see who they are. I mean, Captain America is is Captain America. You see that. But basically the materials made out of this uh, Kree uh, type of um, Kree battle battle synthetics that will basically take Quake's earthquake abilities and basically create like a mini shield around them. So that's why they're safe. So he tells them this and they, they're basically like, we, you're telling us that this happened and then you wiped our mind because you didn't want us one to feel bad for what happened too. you didn't trust us to keep the secret. So you did that as well. And they're just, they're just screaming at him like daredevils yelling at him, captain America. And this is what's, this is what's really messed up. And this is what tells you that the friendships are done after this. Wolverine is super furious and we've seen very little of him in the series apart from the flashbacks. And he's like, Fury, outside of the X-Men, no one knows the hell I've been through more than you. And you've done this to me, all I've been through and you poke through my brain. And he just goes so mad. He ends up lunging at Fury as Fury's like, listen, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. And he's stabs him and he just repeatedly keeps stabbing him all the heroes are like oh my god logan you can't kill fury so what quake does and this is crazy she she's able to concentrate her earthquake abilities so that way she basically blows up wolverine's heart from the inside stopping him knowing that he's going to heal but just the visual of that on the one page where it's more of a half page spread it's it's hilarious but now we see that and we're thinking oh my god nick fury's dead he's not dead in fact, that was never Nick Fury. That was a life model decoy because he knew. Of course, it was. He knew that this day, with all this stuff coming together, there was no way someone wasn't going to kill him. And even if he was able to stay alive, there's no way Nick Fury's going to jail. It's my favorite Nick Fury trope. Uh, every time you think he's dead or something has happened, uh, guess what? It was just a life model decoy. So we're all good. He's all good. He's never actually there. No. It, it's so it's so Nick Fury, so David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury, so Hasselhoff. So now the heroes are really, really just not happy with life. Nick Fury's out there, and now we're back to director Maria Hill, basically telling Agent Quake, you know, you're on thin ice with me, but we'll keep you around. And in the very last panel, we see Quake alone on the deck of the Shield Hell Carrier, and she has someone calling her, and she's like, "Yes, yes, sir." And who was that? Nick Fury. And that's the of end. Course. Who else would it be? Up to his old tricks and antics. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 
because I, I don't know the full. The, the only thing I know about Nick Fury between this story and the present time, uh, one of the thir- first things I read when I first started getting back into Marvel Comics, uh, maybe four or five years ago, was I read Original Sin. Uh, have you read that? Story? Yep, that was really kind of okay. like the send off of what what people call the White Nick Fury because he he becomes <laughs> this new creature. Uh, he's basically replaces the Watcher, and now in Marvel canon proper, uh, even though what we see is the Samuel Jackson Nick Fury, the Black Nick Fury is technically this Nick Fury's son. So basically, Original Sin was a giant way of retconning things, so that way we'll never see David Hasselhoff Nick Fury again. And now, what was previously Nick Fury Jr. is now missing an eye in Director Shield, and now we just call him Nick Fury. And yeah, and the old Nick Fury is basically like protecting Earth from like galactic threats or something. Something like that. Like it's that. it was it was really <laughs> weird. It's a way to write him off with it without killing him, and and so they can always bring that character back if they choose to. But they they made it to be an original sin. They made it out more like he was becoming not like the Watcher because the Watcher only watched, only recorded, didn't intervene, but more like a character like who's just out there now. You know, he's not going to be regularly interacting anymore. He's, you know, we're putting him over he's here. He's transcended uh, in a way. Exactly. He, he's ascended to another level. Um, so I guess between this and then, uh, they had, I don't know exactly how this all played out. I know there was Black Nick Fury in the Ultimate Universe, and then they also bought Black Nick Fury into the regular MCU. And from what I understand, this is what I read, that they they wanted to, for whatever reason, I'm not sure, create this Black Nick Fury character, and they based it intentionally off Samuel Jackson because they just thought Samuel Jackson was cool, and they designed the character based on him. And then only later did they cast Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury in the Marvel movies. That's my understanding. Yeah, that, Are you aware of any of this? Yeah, that's literally how it happened. Um, at, in the early 2000s, there were talks of doing an Avengers film more based off Mark Miller's Ultimates run, which is in the Ultimate Universe. And that's where we see different versions of the heroes that we're familiar with. And this is where we have Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury. When it came time to end the Marvel line, um, sorry, the Ultimate line of Marvel Comics, uh, Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury literally became Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So now because right. one universe is ending and we've got a ton of new readers coming in through the films, we need to make it familiar. Why is Nick Fury white? So basically what they did was they wrote a, <laughs> they wrote a short miniseries called Battle Scars where basically – this one guy who is the illegitimate child of Nick Fury and another former <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. agent ends up being attacked by Hydra and all these other people because he carries what's called the Infinity Serum, which is what keeps Nick Fury so young. Because he's his son, he has some of that in him. Uh, by the end of the series, he loses an eye. He's basically earned the trust of the Marvel <laughs> Universe. And right before Rich, I love yeah. how they even went through the through the detail of having him lose an eye just so it he was, would be just it like. Was so, Nick well, Fury. like they, <laughs> they bring in Agent Coulson too, and it's just like it was not a it was not a good story. But by the end of it, not only does he change his name literally to Nick Fury, but now he's got the eye <laughs> patch, and oh, now we're gonna make him Director's Shield. And then a month later, Original <laughs> Sin comes out, and now it's like okay, now. We're what do we do? Because now we've got two Nick Furies. It was, it was not, it's, it was not. It's something. so Marvel and it's so comics. Why? Because comics. Because comics. Yeah. I just, I, yeah. I mean, I, I have no problem. I, I not really no problem. I think that, that Samuel Jackson is awesome as Nick Fury yeah. in the cinematic films. I just hate the idea of, of shooing in a, a retcon of a new character 
to replace an old character who's really a new character just because like I don't know it, it seems like so re- and then the, the convoluted story they had to come up to not only create this son that he has but then go through the extra steps of having his son take the same name lose an eye and have an eye patch and then direct shield like it's, it's so even for comics that's just way too convoluted for of an explanation for a new black Nick Fury it's just call him something else just call him you know whatever just make a new character I don't I mean you know it doesn't need to be Nick Fury I mean, my thing was like you've got him in the movies now, so like that's cool. Why? why I, I was upset that they did that. I was more upset that they actually like just eliminated like the Samuel Jackson Nick Fury yeah. from the Ultimate Comics. The entire Ultimate line of comics, which we're going to talk about in a later episode, was basically the backbone for what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is now. And then Marvel just killed it. So now they were they were in this weird position where it's like we have all these broken pieces and we need to make something new out of it, but it's also still familiar. So let's just have Bendis fix it. And this is around the time where Bendis, he's not writing stories that are necessarily loved. And this is around the time where he was thinking, I got to leave Marvel. And now he's writing action comics. So this is really towards the latter end of the years, him trying to shoehorn a bunch of stuff because of what the films demand and now longtime readers, while they might like, you know, the, the son of Nick Fury, Nick Fury Jr., Black Nick Fury, it's just not the same because they did David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury so poorly. <laughs> David Hasselhoff, Nick yeah. Fury. I still can't wait. I cannot wait. I want a universe where through the multiverse somehow we see Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury interact with David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury. That'd be so funny. If you are listening, Kevin Feige, make this happen. And of course you are because this is second print comics pod. Absolutely. What else is he listening to? Uh, anyway, yeah. to wrap, yeah, to wrap things up, this story leads us into really the new age of Marvel. After this, we see new Avengers where we're going to see folks from this series, such as Spider-Man, Luke Cage and Wolverine join the likes of Captain America and Iron Man and new Avengers also written by Brian, Michael Bendis because of I mean that that's a that's a great series itself because of this it's gonna really lead us into things like Civil War and Secret Invasion which are coming out between five to six years after this this is really kind of the end of as I mentioned at the beginning of the show the end of the age of innocence the beginning of the age of new Marvel yeah, it sets up a series of conflicts between heroes where, as before, it was mostly always black and white heroes versus villains. Uh, sometimes you have nuanced villains like Magneto, like we talked about last episode. Um, but, uh, you know, this is b- basically the time where now we're going to introduce layers of morality and like morality plays between the supposed heroes, which really just reflect reality so much more. And it really is bringing uh, the, I guess in this case, at least just the Marvel universe into a, a more realistic feeling like feel. I mean, this did not feel, this felt like I was reading a movie. This didn't feel like a comic book at all, except that it happened to have some comic book characters in it uh, that I was familiar with. I mean, this really felt like a really intense movie and you really get, you get when you realize, what Nick Fury is there to do that not only is there is he there to assassinate a leader but he, and not only is he okay with casualties he's planning on it like he's saying you've, we've got to teach them a lesson by being terrorists and it really introduces a mor- moral question for the reader that never gets answered by you know by the writing it's for the reader to ponder was this the right thing if he never did this stuff you could argue that you know she would have kept doing what she was doing behind the scenes and you know someone had to put a stop to her but you can also look at look at what ended up happening uh, you know doing all this behind the scenes having the secret war committing an act of terrorism yourself ended up bringing it back home it ended up causing blowback uh, which is obviously something that 
that is what happens in real life when we have military adventures overseas. We have drones on people all over the place, and then we see acts of terrorism. Well, you might be able to justify it, just like Nick Fury justifies it. You might be able to say, well, we need to go over there and kill people because they might end up killing us. But we can also look at the other side, which is reflected in this comic, that if you commit evil acts, um, even if you feel they're justified, there's a decent chance that evil will be coming back upon you as well. So, And I like that this story does not just tell me what the right answer was. It just shows you the. It just shows you the morality of it. And it shows you that the decisions that the characters went through, and it shows you that Nick Fury and he, he even basically says, "I don't care what I have to do. Like the mission is the mission, and when I have the mission, I'm there to carry it out. And whatever I have to do, I have to do. And that goes beyond the president. That goes beyond any of you schmuck heroes. Like like I am the boss. I'm like, Nick he's Fury, basically bitch. The, the dictator. Yeah, I'm Nick Fury, bitch. Even though I'm about to be retconned out in the next decade <laughs> or so. So I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Now we've got to do the hard part. We've got to go ahead and rate this. What we're going to do is we're going to get five, up to five points for artwork and up to five points for story. So altogether, that we'll give this something out of ten total points. Um, I mean, the artwork itself is really... I couldn't have picked another writer for this series. There are some people that come to mind. I like, uh, I, I like Mark Bagley, but his stuff is more bright, Kirby-ish in a way. I couldn't have seen him really doing this. Um, really, really, I mean, it's just, I, I got to pull the cover in front of me just because I love this. Gabriel Delato, what he did with the series was he made it something that he will, this is his run. Even though this is Bendis's story, this is something that he will, and he has always been remembered for. So as the artwork is concerned, I'm giving this a five out of five. And in terms of story, I mean, we, we've already gushed over how much we love this. I really find no flaws. And I'm happy that this is so self-contained that, one, yeah, they, they made it into canon, even though it's not something that's ultimately as big as like a civil war or a secret invasion or what have you. But it's so good just as a self-contained story, just as itself. If you've never read any of the other Marvel comics, you could pick this up and you will be just taken into what's going on. For this, with a total of 5 out of 5, I'm giving it a full 5 for a total score of 10 out of 10. The full Remso second print comics approval. This was so difficult for me because I... Okay, I want us to be critics. I want us to look at things critically. I don't want to just give anything. Like my gut instinct is to never just give five and five. Shit on it. (laughs) Or at least least find the flaws. And I think we proved in episode one that we do find the flaws. I mean, we were very happy with the first part. I can tell you up front right now, this is the only time for at least the next like dozen episodes I'm ever giving anything close to an A. So there's a sneak peek. Wow. Oh, we just switched from numbers to, to grades. So we're now yeah, we're already it's a, confusing it's a 10 people. Out of 10, it's a 9 out of 10. They, they, what is this? They a, know what what is it? A black Nick Fury origin story <laughs> is getting so confusing. Um, but you know, I, I think we proved we knocked on Scott Labdell's writing pretty damn hard in, in the X-Men. So it's, I think, I think even with only two episodes in our belt, we've proven that we will be critical when it is time to be critical. Uh, but like you said, I, the art's perfect. Like the art is perfect. I can't imagine better art. So how can I give the art anything but a five? And as I've described in multiple ways, the way this story is laid out, the way it parallels real life, the uh, the the nuanced lines of morality that are are kind of skewed, and and uh, just the entire story, everything down to the dialogue. I mean, there is not a line wasted. Um, I I don't always love Michael Bendis's writing. I think he does fall into the problem of too much dialogue sometimes, and a lot of his writing I've let, I've read later. That's absolutely not the case in this in this series. Every line has a meaning. Every line has a purpose. Every line guides the story, and 
here sitting in the second episode, when I was thinking about my grades, I was like, man, I, I don't want to just go giving out a 10, but I have to, because I have to be honest and, and I have to grade things honestly. And I'm with you. Like I, I, I find no flaws in this. Like this is a perfect story. Uh, it's the perfect number of issues. It's five issues. It's just, it's succinct. We don't get extraneous detail. We don't need, it's, it's like watching, it's like reading a movie, an awesome movie. And, uh, I, I can't say, I, I don't think, I don't see how it could be any better. I mean, it, it's, 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 I, I have to call it flawless cause I'm giving it a 10. I'm giving it a flawless wow. score. Uh, like you looking down the road, uh, um, I, I don't, I don't foresee myself. I want to set a very high standard, so I don't foresee myself giving tens that often, but uh, I'm glad we individually came to this conclusion. Cause I think it's based on how we, we both seem to view this story and, and how it all played out. I think it's the only honest thing to do is to say that this thing's freaking perfect and it's awesome. And I highly, highly recommend reading it. Absolutely. Folks. I'm I, like, I told you at the beginning of the show, I had to go buy another copy of this. I wouldn't do this for everything I have because of the sticky pages, yeah, because of the sticky pages <laughs> and the water damage. But like, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to toss this out and then have the new fresh copy in my library. This is something that I want. If I had to recommend one story for either readers coming back or casual readers or just diehards that may have missed it, Secret War by Brian Michael Bendis is always going to be on top. And this gets the, uh, the second print comics full approval, full full ten average score, which I don't imagine will happen all that often. No, I, I don't see it coming. We've planned a, a long way down the road, and I, I've already kind of come to my own conclusions on how I'm going to rate some of them. This is the only ten you're going to see from both of us, at least me, for a long time. Yeah, I like to do my ratings live, so I have an idea going in, and then but I wait until we get to this point of the show to actually decide because maybe through our conversation something will have changed. I was already thinking like this is perfect. Maybe I'll find some flaws throughout this conversation, and I couldn't find them, so I, I have to give it the perfect ten. So our first perfect ten, two episodes in. Call us easy if you will, but I think you will see us be harsher down the Absolutely. road. Absolutely. So this stuff. folks, that's you can about see it. It, you can see us harsher in the last <laughs> episode by by how we treated uh you know the the Scott Lundell portion made that of that poor story. man cry. Yes, yes, poor Mr. Lebdell. I also want to uh, just remind people before we sign off that uh, you can be like Remso. You can go replace your sticky pages and and and, uh, and get some hard copies. But if you want to follow along with us uh, when we read this stuff or with these reviews, there are a lot of easy ways uh, to get access to this. This is available on Hoopla. Again, all you need is a library card, and you can get access to so much stuff. Um, I believe it might be available on Amazon through Kindle for free, and Hoopla is completely free as well. And then, of course, you always have Marvel Unlimited, which has all these stories collected in one in one fashion or another. Uh, as well as Comixology has an unlimited, which collects a lot of this stuff. So there are, there are so many either free or very cheap ways to find these stories digitally at the very least, uh, if you can't track them down at your local comics bookstore, which we also do recommend you doing to support your local comic book stores and uh, support the comic book economy and the comic book market because it really needs the support right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. So, folks, if you want to find us, talk to us, hang out with us, go ahead and find us at Second Print Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, where you can find us at any time. And if you really want to keep conversations like this going you want awesome opportunities such as the private facebook group private zoom calls hangouts uh you know exclusive hardcover comics mailed to you every three months at uh at the 25 dollar level and so much so more. much we got so much stuff so much stuff going on We're find us at second print comics podcast on patreon all right well until next time my friends i am mark claire i'm remso w martinez read comics change the world Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.